Hello, it's Christine here with the Express to Impress podcast. This episode is part two of Confident Communication Techniques for the Workplace with Mike Acker. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I recommend you check it out before listening to this one. In this episode, my guest Mike Acker shares powerful tips for conveying confidence and authority through verbal and nonverbal communication. In addition, we talk about learning Spanish, living in Mexico, and Mexican culture. We've both lived and learned Spanish in Mexico, so I was curious about his experience. His journey couldn't be more different from mine, and I have a newfound appreciation for the immense challenges immigrants can face in a new country. Before we listen to the rest of my conversation with Mike, I want to share a quick reminder that you can subscribe to receive notifications whenever I release a new episode. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast directories. And if you have a job interview coming up, I invite you to visit my website for my free five-step job interview preparation checklist. This checklist has already helped thousands of people worldwide get jobs they love. To sign up, visit my website at express-2-impress.com. Now let's jump back into our conversation. So I'm not sure about your familiarity with Mexican business environment, but could you maybe give me any insights that you have on similarities or differences between American and Mexican business environments? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually accepted to law school, one of the top law schools in Mexico, like the Harvard Law School of Mexico, nice. before I moved back to the United States. So I withdrew. Okay. And then my dad practiced law down in Mexico for 14 years. So I got to see a lot of this. I did some traveling with him from time to time. And then, of course, I actually have gone back and done some nonprofit work there throughout the years. So nice. here's what's very different is for American business culture, it's very much about the action, the productivity. Now, sure, if you're really good friends, you might not you might focus on the friendship first, but I have a business partner in one of our businesses that we lead and my business partner and I are very good friends. We've vacationed together, we've traveled together, but when we go to business, mm-hmm. it goes to business. So even if I'm doing a business call with him, it might be very cursory, how are you doing? But then it's like, hey, I wanna let you know this, let's get right to it. Now, right. Mexico's always going to prioritize the relationship. And so in Mexico, business doesn't start until a relationship has been established mm-hmm. and relationship has been revisited. So it's very common for you to be there and being in something. How's your mom? Very common question in Mexico. How's your mom? I mean, nice. for years, yeah. even when I'd go back, my mom has passed away now, but right. but people would come up and say, Mike, how's your mom? How's your family? How are things going? How's your wife? What's going on? And then it might go into the business. But even when I would sure. do my nonprofit interactions and consulting down there in that regards, we would spend a good amount of time on relationship building before we moved into the work. And in Mexico, if you go into a business room, you're going to make sure you shake every single person's hands. You're going to acknowledge mm-hmm. them. There's a relational aspect, which I love that part of it. Yes. Because you're crossing over the bridge of business through relationships. Mm-hmm. In American business, there's a little bit different. There's some good of that too. For example, one of the words in Mexico in the, Mer- in the business culture is palanca. So you're always going to get more leverage. That's what it ultimately means, leverage if you have pull with somebody. So sometimes a relationship is built so that you can pull it, you can leverage that relationship. 
And so unfortunately, if you're not in that relationship, you can't get things done. Now in America, you don't have to have a relationship. Let's just get things done. Mm -hmm. So a very different way of doing mm -hmm. things. And sometimes in a Mexican business culture, it can exclude people who are not in that relationship. And of course, in American business culture, sometimes it can be so bottom line over a relationship that things get turned upside down. Yeah, interesting. I certainly can see the positives about the Mexican approach to building relationships. And when I try to put myself in the shoes of a Mexican coming to America or working with an American, I can see how they could perceive our practice as cold or inauthentic. And that must be such a tough transition. I will say that sometimes I have clients who are a little confused by the places where relationships are important in American business culture. So one place where it's important is when you're in a job search, you want to tap into your network. You want to be building your network. You want to be telling people, hey, I need a job. And I've had many non-native English speakers say like, really? That's, that seems weird. It's not based on merit. And how I explain it is, it can get you an interview. You still have to be the best candidate. You still have to go through the process and you still might not get the job, but it can help get an interview, which is really tough when you're competing against hundreds or thousands of people sometimes. So that's mm -hmm. one area where it's maybe a bit more similar to the Mexican business culture and the, and the power of relationships. You're right. And what's huge is in Mexico, you might build that relationship that day. The relationship is always, always forefront. Mm -hmm. in, in American business culture, if you are building relationships right now, because I need to get a job right now, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. probably not going to happen. Like Mexico, mm -hmm. you can go out to a, an evening dinner. If you walk away with great relationships, you got yeah. someone right there and they might be a recommendation for you the same day. American business mm -hmm. culture is not going to be the same. You're building relationships to build relationships. So mm -hmm. most people can see through because we're very, we're very skeptical. Like people reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, so why are you reaching out? What do you, <laughs> what do you really want from me? Yeah. And why do you want to be my friend? Mm -hmm. and, and almost to a fault at times versus Mexico. Yeah, of course you want something, but let's be friends too. Great. Yeah. And so what I would say for those people is start building a relationship now, even when you have a job Yeah. Absolutely. and keep that relationship. I was in a relationship, like I had no motive from it, just a, mm -hmm. a buddy, no motive from it all. And I was around a barbecue one time, we were having a dinner and I was thinking about changing my job. And I'd known this guy for a while and we had respect for each other. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about changing my job. He said, I'd hire you in a heartbeat. I had no education and no experience in the industry. I ended up being recommended to the recruiter from him. And out of hundreds of applicants in a field that is very desirable was the person that got hired. Oh, I love that. That's so, awesome. Yeah. But a real relationship trumped those basic requirements. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned that particular scenario because your friend wasn't, in your mind, the perfect employer in the perfect position. You right. just brought it up. And I think that people are hesitant to do that sometimes. They feel like that's weird or they're using people, but your friends do want to help you out. And there are opportunities there if you just say what's going on and what your needs are. People want to help each other out and fill those needs. But yeah, a lot of times people think, 
no, I don't have anyone who's a product. I don't have any people in my network who are a product manager or at the companies I want to work at. It's like still tell your friends and family at a minimum yeah. what your goals are and they right. might be able to support you. Right. Many of my clients are very well prepared and that can come from this sense of lack or insecurity about their English skills. So they will go above and beyond to arrive to an interview well-prepared or before they give an important speech or presentation. But what terrifies them most is impromptu speaking. When somebody at the office wants to start chatting about the game last night or the meeting goes off topic and they're not prepared for it and they're worried they're going to be found out maybe as a fraud or people will see the limitations of their language so do you have any tips for those individuals who need to learn how to maintain their confidence and engage in these uncomfortable conversations? Yeah, absolutely. I love this because you're right. A lot of people are really nervous about this. It's one of the most sought after topics. So without sounding like a commercial in my book, Speak With Confidence, I actually talked about system for doing that oh, because I nice. know it's something that is very desired for people. So I put it in there and really what I've talked about in that section. So that book is comprised of identity, message, and skills. I want to talk about messaging and speaking. It's about systematic preparation. So mm-hmm. just like you have a system for preparing a slide deck or a system for answering, tell me about yourself or a system sure. for that. You should have a system for when people put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Now, the system can only be used if there's material to process. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you ask me, Mike, what does it look like to audit a company's financial records. I mean, I don't even know what to say. See, I don't even, the topic is so far from my area. I would say there's no material to process. So the system in that case is simply, sorry, I actually don't know anything about that. And I used to feel when I was younger, I used to feel the need to have a say about everything. And what I'm now thinking is, Hey, what'd you think about the game yesterday? Oh, which game? Oh, you didn't know about the game, the game. I don't tell me about it. Right. In that case, the system is, I don't know. You tell Mm -hmm. me and I'll listen. I love that. Yep. Just owning up and turning it back around, but continuing the conversation, not feeling ashamed that you don't know, even if they push back, you don't know. No, tell me something good must have happened. Tell me about it. Right. And then if there is one topic and you work with maybe 10 people and all of them talk about the same thing, then if you're going to work with them for a while, just like if you get married, right? You get married and they love this. Maybe you love that now. And your whole family does this. Maybe you should do that now. Mm-hmm. So likewise, we do that in relationships. Well, you're in a working relationship. And if there's 10 people and all they do is talk about this, then I'm going to go become aware of that. So I can yeah. engage. Absolutely. And I'm going to like it. Maybe I'm going to do it for my work. It's part of my extended work. So just mm-hmm. consider it part, just like you might bring some work home from time to time. That's now the work that you bring home. So that's the second part. And then the third part is when it's done, there's actually five different ways you can respond. You can just go short and simple. So you're put on the spot, short, simple. You can go with a story. You can go with a three-point bullet-pointed answer. So Mike, what do you think about this? Well, there's three things I think about that. And that makes you sound really smart and actually optimizes your brain. You can actually ask a question back. Tell me more. Why do you want to know that? Or something that actually focuses the answer and brings it out, gives you time to think. And then, which also levels the playing field, there's so much that does. And then you could also ask for a moment. 
So instead of going, well, you know, uh, so yeah, you know, uh, when I was, uh, so when I was a, a, a product manager, instead of going like that, you just say, let me just give that thought. Okay, so when I was a project manager and go into that, so great ways to answer. And if you use these systems and practice the systems, now you have a way to process that mass amount of material that's in your brain. Oh, my listeners are going to love these tips. I'm telling you to be able to be prepared for impromptu conversations. They're going to love this. The last point you mentioned really resonates with me because this is a common scenario. People come to me to get ready for interviews. We prepare, we prepare, we prepare. And then I say, you'll likely be asked a question we didn't prepare for. And they hate that and they don't want that. And they're so comfortable. And then they can like really dwell and worry about that. So I say, let's prepare for you to answer a question you don't know. And the first thing I have them say is, sure, or good question. I just need a few moments to think about that. Yeah. And then take the time. And I reassure them if they answer immediately, it's probably going to be a bad answer, unorganized, and they're not going to feel good about it. So if they don't know the answer, don't answer. Take some time to think. But that's a great tip for in the office as well. I hadn't thought of applying it there too. So a couple more questions I have. I had a lot of fun going through your website and I had a hard time narrowing down my questions, but I have two more. I noticed one of the many areas you cover in communication coaching is body language. So how can people use body language to convey confidence and authority in a professional setting? So when you think about communication, it's comprised of three threads. The verbal content, so that's the words. So if you're just looking at the transcript of this, then you got the nonverbal tonal, so the sound of my voice, and the nonverbal physical, the way that I look. And all three of these are going to reinforce and bring in that point. And if you have your nonverbals misaligned with your verbals, you're actually going to be overpowering your verbal content. And I've seen that again and again, where people say, I'm excited to be here, but they don't sound excited. They don't look excited. Yes, and they might I've even be excited. Sure. Right? So some people who study this, they say that 60 to 90% of communication is your nonverbal. So tonal That's and huge. physical. That means that you need to make sure all these are aligned. But it also means that if you put all three of them together, you can be extremely powerful. Yes. So think yes. about Martin Luther King Jr. His presence, his physical presence, the way he carried himself, his hand motions, his facial expressions, the way he looked, the suit he wore, all of that, the location he was at with uh, President Lincoln behind him. Amazing. Then the tonal. He used a deeper voice, pause, slow, dramatic, loud. Yes. And that hammered in the point he was making. Mm-hmm. So the speech by itself, great to read, but mm-hmm. would it have gone down in history if it was just a document that was sent out to people? No way. Probably not. But the way that he spoke it. So mm-hmm. it's so important for us to use this. Now, if you just want three simple nonverbal skills that will emphasize this, three that are going to make you bigger and sound more confident, the three are going to go use pauses. Uh speak a little bit louder Uh and gesture a little bit bigger those three make you bigger and they make you seem more authoritative and confident great how long should people pause and from my research i've learned that the amount of time americans pause 
varies by region and the amount of time compared to other countries varies as well. So I know this is not an easy question to answer, but in an American business setting, how long should people be pausing when they're speaking? And I guess, when should they be pausing? Yeah, so you can pause anytime that you need to grab a hold of the next word. So if you use pauses, it'll actually eliminate a lot of the ums and the other types of fillers that we use. So use pauses on a regular basis. Now, if you use a longer pause, that's a suspense building or question asking pause. Mm -hmm. So there's usually short pauses in the middle of a sentence. So if I'm talking, I use a small pause right there because I got stuck in the middle of my words and I picked back up. If I want to make more of a conclusion, if I wanted to make a point and I wanted to stick with you, then I'm pause a little bit longer. So there's just a micro pause to eliminate fillers, but then there's more of a conclusive pause that is really an authority statement. So I say, and that's how it is. And now I move on. So it's a little bit longer pause because I'm making a statement. But if I'm going to ask a question, I might say, what questions does this bring to mind? And then I'm going to wait until someone answers. Mm. I'm going to let there be an awkwardness there. And there's a whole bunch that I go into about this typically, but those are longer ones where I'm expecting you to do something. In fact, if I pause here long enough, what would happen is Christina would take a moment and she would physically move to Mm -hmm. interpret my longer pause. So three pauses, short in the middle of a sentence, just that is a micro pause. It's just for you to get back on track. Mm -hmm. Second pause for conclusion. How long is that one? It's as long as you need to make the point. So if I say, don't do that, that's going to be probably a longer pause versus I say something very deep, that might be a longer pause. Think about a comedian. They pause as long as they need to, to make the audience laugh and get the joke. Mm -hmm. And then the longer pauses where you're doing suspense building and the winner is that's a suspense building or what questions do you have? Or. What are we going to do about that? Well, that's another question. But any of those ones where you're really doing that or dramatic one where sometimes you stand up on stage and you look around, you're not not communicating. You're communicating mm-hmm. non-verbally by looking at people's eyes. And then you speak. But all of those are suspense mm-hmm. building. I love it. So some of my clients have paused to think without telling their interviewer they're going to pause. Or they've done that in a meeting when they're asked a question and they pause and they often get interrupted by Americans and Mm -hmm. it interrupts their train of thought. It shakes their confidence. So stressed pauses are very important in other areas, but that initial pause, like if you're going to take it, you have to at least tell them you're going to take it Um, because otherwise an American might interpret it as they didn't understand me. They don't know the answer. I don't know why else Americans will interrupt. But that initial, like right after a question, if somebody's just thinking and maybe especially like the look on their face, they'll just start talking before the other person talks. Well, and, and so here's what's huge about that. So that's a stop. That's not a pause. Mm. So a pause is where you it's a small break. Think about when you're running on the treadmill. And you need to go grab a sip of water or you drop something real quick. You pause the machine and you're going to get back on. 
But if you walk away, I mean, mm-hmm. right there, no one's going to jump on the treadmill and take it from you at the gym because they see that you're doing something. They, they can see that you're still engaged with the treadmill. They mm-hmm. know that you're still there. But if you stop, and that's what a lot of people do, they finish a sentence and then they disconnect. Mm-hmm. They look away and they're now off somewhere else. And that's awkward for everybody. Sure. So really what that American often is doing is saving that person face. Oh, shoot. They're done. They ended awkwardly. Let me jump in there and help them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that's a good point. Engaged, it could be help like a, as a way to help them to get rid of the awkwardness. Right. Because sometimes what happens is there's communication that has no words at all. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you see those best friends kind of look over each other and smile and they know what each other are thinking. That's communication. Mm-hmm. They're getting a message across. And so what you need to do when you're speaking is make sure. Okay. Right there. See, you knew that I was going to continue talking. You didn't <laughs> say anything because sure. I was in the middle of something. I was, I was still engaged. And so you didn't jump in. But if I come to a conclusive end and say, that's it. And I pause and I'm done and I move on. Then yeah, you're going to interrupt. So what I would say for that person is, yeah, either let them know that you're going to take a pause. Let me give me a moment just to think about that. Two, stay engaged by making eye contact, by looking at them, by drawing something out, by being active with the PowerPoint slide or something. Or three, and this is tough to do, is if you're constantly and you're in the culture, make sure people know that you're not done. Because there Mm -hmm. might be a culture of that. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. that's where you say, oh, I'm not done right now. And yeah. you need to have the confidence that you have the material that they need. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't interrupt me yet, Christine. I'm continuing right here. And then you go, oh, okay. But then people know and start learning your figure. If you stand up for yourself, they will respect those boundaries as well. Yeah, such a powerful skill to, to develop. I'm glad you brought that one up. Yeah, resisting those interruptions when you, yeah. you're not done, <laughs> when you're still thinking. Absolutely. So... We ended up covering my second question as we discussed that question. <laughs> That's all of the questions I have for you today. Do you have anything else that you would like to share on this topic of confident communication in an American business setting? I think I say this in almost every book I write. And I started out in the first one. So I first wrote a book in 2019 and I wrote where you are is not where you have to stay. Because I was talking about speaking with no fear. Yeah. And then the newest one, and speak with confidence, I say that as well. I wanted to encourage people, often what, what people think is they, they just can't get there. And as a result of that, they don't do the effort. Yeah. I love the story of my friend, Sheree. Sheree as a high schooler. She was about twice the amount of weight that she should have. And this is something that was on People Magazine. So I feel confident sharing it without yeah. her being embarrassed. It was on the she, front cover. Now, why wow. was it on the front cover? Because... In her 20s, she went from down twice her weight to half that weight. And in the interview she did with People Magazine, she said, I never thought I could lose weight. So Mm -hmm. I never really tried. I mean, I sort of tried, but never really tried because it was impossible. She said, I went to Scotland. We walked around a whole bunch. There wasn't the processed food that I had. And suddenly I lost 20 pounds without even trying. And all of a sudden I realized it was possible. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what you need to realize is that it is possible. And so where you are, lack of confidence, and you want to speak with confidence, fear, you want to speak with no fear, whether it's relational, you're not good with emotional intelligence, wherever you are is not where you have to stay. 
So be aware of where you are, then find the right knowledge and put it into practice. No, very powerful. I couldn't agree more. And that's what I love seeing is when people do realize their power, they go after it and they get the support they need to do that. Well, thank you, Mike. This has been so wonderful. I've learned so much from you. I laughed. I loved your stories and I can't wait to read your books. And if people want to find you, how can they find you? Can you share your, your sites with us? Yeah, absolutely. So mikeacker.com is it's a great home for a lot of that. My books are on Amazon as well. And if you just Google Mike Acker, you'll find me all over too. I have a couple of different websites, but mikeacker.com or Amazon are great places. Great. Thank you. And I will share that information in the show notes as well. It's been great. Thank you so much. And um, hope to stay in touch and, and do this again sometime. Thank you, Christine. That brings us to the end of the second and final episode with Mike Acker. Which nonverbal communication techniques will you use this week? Do you feel ready to answer impromptu questions in English? Learning is the first step to changing your behavior. Now I suggest you practice the techniques Mike shared so you feel comfortable using them and you eventually incorporate them naturally into your work. If you enjoyed my conversation with Mike, or if you are living abroad or planning to live in an English-speaking country, I invite you to watch a video recording of my conversation with the listening expert, Cara Leopold, on the topic, how to use movies as an immersion tool before moving abroad for work. I'll include a link in the show notes. And don't miss any of my podcast episodes. Subscribe on your favorite platform, or you can access them on my website with the transcripts at express-2-impress.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Express to Impress podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. If you found the episode helpful, please remember to share it with a friend. See you next time. Bye.